0: Father, it's it's good to be before you in stillness and quiet, and we bow our heads before you and cry out to you as our Father, and ask this morning that you would send your Spirit, fill us afresh and anew, and that by the power of your Spirit that you would bring the presence, the power, the delight of the Son. And so just bless and anoint our time together, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is good to be with all of you here this morning, and it's my pleasure to be able to share God's word. Uh, You're probably a little confused because the service time has changed. Uh, There's still a guy named John preaching. In fact, we spell it the same way, J-O-N, but I look a little different than the typical John that preaches. And so you are in the right place at the right time, and I'm just trusting that God will use our time together. And so the title of this morning's sermon is The Powertrain. And uh, our text, as John Demeter read, is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And so let me start with a story. Uh, Back in 2010, Haiti suffered a massive earthquake. 7.0, about uh, 1 million people were affected. Estimates uh, rough, roughly estimate maybe about 240, 250,000 lives that were lost. And so at that particular time, I had the opportunity to be, join a team and to head down to Haiti about a year later. And so uh, we had raised funds, we had trained, we had prayed, we brought these huge, huge duffel, green duffel bags full of medical supplies. And so the majority of the team was medical focused. And then there was a very small portion of the team that was, was ministry-focused, more specifically on helping, encouraging, and training pastors. So we, we uh, get to Haiti. We, we, we drive in the dark through this bumpy road for four hours. We, we get to sleep super late at night. We go to service. And then on Monday morning, we pray our way all through the morning, and we're super excited to do ministry. Uh, the medical team takes off. The, ministry, the pastoral ministry team, we jump on this yellow school bus and we're all jazzed and they, the, the driver turns the key and we're ready to go, but the bus is not. And so he keeps hitting the ignition and nothing's happening and so they, it's super hot and humid so we, we all get out of the bus and we're just sitting there and um, before I tell you what I did, I want you to just pause for a moment. Put yourself in that place. You're super excited about what God might do in just that moment. And the bus won't start. So in the honesty of your own minds and hearts, what would you do honestly? Some of us might uh, try to go up to the, the, the uh engine. Maybe we have some know-how and try to lend our assistance to maybe fix the engine. Uh, Some of us may just try to keep people entertained and calm as we wait. For me, I just sat there and sulked. And in my head, I thought, really, Lord? Like, we, we did all of this to get to this place, and the bus won't start. So as I'm sitting there, I see my friend Bob, and Bob is standing near the bus, and he's got his phone out, and the cynicism in me begins to rise, and I go, hey, Bob, what are you doing? Calling AAA? And he goes, well, actually, no, John. He said, you know, I was just texting all of my prayer supporters back in the States and asking that they would pray that the bus would start. So at that moment, my heart is feeling kind of heavy and a little ashamed, and so I go, wow. And so I I, I start to pull out my phone, and I go, yeah, me too, Bob. (laughs) You see, that moment was pivotal for me because I realized there on that dirt road in Haiti, there was a big difference between me and Bob. You see, it wasn't just that I didn't pray and Bob did. I was beginning to realize it was a huge difference between the way that Bob did life and I did life. And so I was used to doing life with my own talent, resources, expertise. And when I couldn't do anything to make things change, as in the case of the starting of the bus, I just sat there. Insult. Bob, on the other hand, was not used to doing life on his own. He lived with a full awareness of God's presence and his power. uh, Bob was fully aware of his dependence on God for everything, and so prayer was just natural. Think about it, brothers and sisters. In any situation in your life, with any setback, what's your first impulse? Where does your heart go? How do you respond? In other words, how do you do life? In today's passage, we gain insight into the Apostle Paul, not only how he does ministry, but also how he gets life done. And so how does it work and what does he do? Let's take a look at the passage here this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul starts here and says, for this reason. And to understand where he's coming from, we need to understand kind of the whole context of the book and the chapter. And so this is a trigger going back to chapter 2, where he actually, or the beginning of chapter 3, where he says, for this reason. And then that refers back to the end of chapter 2. At the end of chapter 2, what Paul says is, hey, church, he says, your fellow citizens... And you're the household, you're, the, you're members of the household of God. And, and so, in, at the end of chapter 2, he's saying, don't forget who you are. You are the people of God, you're the church. And so, in light of that, Paul says, for this very reason, because you are the people of God, then this is what I'm going to do. And so, he says here, I bow my knees and so this is a way of, of, of Paul saying, I pray for you. Paul is kneeling and praying for the Ephesians. And let's take note about what he's praying. If we scan the passage very quickly, in verse 16, we see that he's praying that they would be strengthened with power through the Spirit. Uh, in verse 18, he again prays that they would be, have the strength to comprehend the love of Christ, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, the vast, uh, uh, endless, infinite love of Jesus. It's like Paul's desire is for them to be strengthened in power and to comprehend, to behold, to to live with and live full of the fullness of Christ's love for them. It's almost as if he's asking and wanting them to know every single star in the sky. It's like endless and countless. And then toward the end of verse 19, he kind of summarizes it all, and he says, I I, I want all of this so that you experience the fullness of God. And so he wants the church to have intimacy with God, one in which they experience not only his power, but personally his deep, Vast love of them in and through Christ Jesus. Now, isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want God's love and power in our lives? And isn't that what we want in the lives of our loved ones as well? And so, if so, if this is what we desire, what do we do? Try to imagine your homework this week. And let's say I gave you some homework and I said, okay, this week, your application is to go out and in your own life, or let's just say one person in your life, make them experience the power of God and the fullness of his pleasure on them. Like, just the idea of it is grand and and, and overwhelming. And the thought is, I can't do that what do I do? You see, this is exactly what Paul was thinking. He had this deep and profound desire for the Ephesian church, but he's incapable of making it happen. So what does he do? He calls on the one who is able. Paul prays because he is helpless. He's powerless, so he calls on the one who has true power. He calls on the God who has, verse 16 tells us, the riches of his glory. That's another way of saying his resources, his wisdom, his, his fullness is, is, is countless. And so he has everything that is needed. That's who Paul counts on, or calls on. And so prayer is one of the primary ways to do life not just for the obviously impossible things in our life, but for all things. And so we may feel like we've got life handled, but if we're really honest, we have far less control than we think. And it's not just about about a bus that won't start, but it's just about how do I make life work? How do I make life work in in my marriage or in, in my schoolwork or at my work? And if we're really honest, and we really are honest in our own hearts, we discover, I just can't make it work. I have good desires. I have godly principles and scripture. But I can't make things happen. And so what does Paul do? He prays this thing here. And so let me me dissect it for you. Why does Paul pray? He prays because he needs to do life and he can't do it. Let's look at what Paul prays more specifically. He prays to the Father that the Father would send the Spirit, the resurrection power of the Spirit, and that the Spirit would bring the presence of Christ to dwell in the hearts of the people. Pray to the Father to send the Spirit who then brings Jesus. And so our ministry, see, Jesus calls this the powertrain. If you think about it, the powertrain of a car is all the components that work together to propel the vehicle forward. It's the engine, it's the transmission, the drive uh, shaft, the axles, all the way out to the wheels. And so if you took an x-ray on a car, you would discover there's this powertrain, there's the system that makes it move forward. And so in some ways, what Paul is doing, he's not trying to teach anything, but he's literally doing what he always does. He prays, and he prays the powertrain. And so he's giving us a little glimpse under the hood. And so Paul's praying for God's power, and this can only come by God's spirit. And so we must remember that, that when God exacts his power, it's not a nebulous, floaty energy, kind of like from the comic books where he just kind of, lightning bolts are coming out and there's this power floating around and somehow we got to grab onto it. Power from God is in God. And he's the one who does powerful things. So when it says God brings his power, he's not just shooting lightning bolts into our lives. His power comes through his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's praying that the church would be empowered. And so in a sense, what he's praying is, send your Holy Spirit. And so he prays that the church would be strengthened through the spirit that indwells the church. And when the spirit comes, he doesn't come alone. He brings Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus is only in one place. Currently, at this moment, he reigns on high from the throne after he ascended. But if we go to the kids' Sunday school class and we ask all the kids, hey, kids, where's Jesus right now? What are they going to say? In my heart. And they're not exactly wrong either. Jesus reigns on that throne... But when the Spirit comes, He is so united in heart with Jesus that He, in a sense, is bringing Jesus to us. 1 Corinthians 15 45, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 through 18, amongst other places, tells us so. And so they remain separate, but post resurrection, they are so united that the way we experience Christ is in and through the Spirit. And so when you become a Christian, we become a dwelling place, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about spirit come and and help these these church people become Christians. What he's saying is, is, because you dwell here, would your spirit make the church, make the hearts of a people a greater and more conducive home for the spirit to operate? And so this is the pattern of the powertrain. We pray to the Father who sends the Spirit, who makes Christ present and real to us. Uh, earlier in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, you see the powertrain at work. Paul prays to the Father that he would give the Spirit who would then bring the Son. And then even before Ephesians, when Jesus was actually roaming the earth, Luke chapter 3, it says when all the people were baptized and when Jesus has also been baptized, Jesus was praying to the Father. And then suddenly the heavens were opened up and the Father sent the Spirit who descended on Jesus and the Father blessed the Son. This is whom I'm well pleased. And so there's a lot of deep biblical theology un- undergirding all of this, but I don't want us to lose sight of what ignites the powertrain. It's not about what happens under the hood. It's about prayer. Prayer is the spark that gets the powertrain started. Every time you pray, I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't mean we have to say, uh, Father, I'm praying for you to send the Spirit to bring the Son into my marriage. No, just just pray your heart. But just know, whatever you're praying, as God begins to answer, if you were to look under the hood of that answer, this is what's going on. He's talking to the Spirit who dwells in you, and the Spirit, by the power of His resurrection, is exacting change whether you see it or not. And one of the ways he does that is he brings the sun. And so I don't want us to get all twisted up in knots. And, and this morning we're just looking under the hood. But when we drive a car, we don't, as we're driving, kind of look under the engine and go, okay, so it's the engine to the drive shaft. And no, we just hit the gas. And so we just pray. Now prayer is a small part. Of the power trade. God doesn't need us in order to make the car move. He's not our genie waiting for our command, but He is a God who chooses to interact with us, and He even involves us in what He is doing. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4 says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides like you. Isaiah is saying, there's nobody who's ever seen a God like you. Now keep in mind, as Isaiah says this, there are many small g gods all over the place. And so everyone was claiming that their God was the biggest God and my God could beat up your God. And so it was kind of a given that Isaiah knows that his God Can beat up all gods. And he says, for all of time, there's no one who's ever perceived or seen a God like you. And notice what he says. It doesn't mean that he doesn't think that God is all powerful overall. He says, what makes you unique is not only that you're all powerful overall, but you act for those who wait for him. In other words, you are in charge and despite being completely in charge, you care. You listen, you respond for those who wait for you. Again, we don't direct his work. We ask, and we wait, and we surrender and trust. And why is this important to know? Because if this is how God works, then prayer isn't simply a spiritual practice that we're supposed to do. It's the way to do all of life in step with the Spirit. When we pray, it's like the church breathing. This is how we get life, and this is how we do life. Now, one caveat, if you do life through prayer, let me warn you, you will be surprised. If you do life through prayer, you will be surprised because God will not just hear your prayers, but in response, he will begin to write some stories that are full of surprises. And so back in 2011, in Haiti, As Bob has his phone out and he's texting his prayer supporters and I'm trying to pretend like I'm doing the same thing, after about four or five minutes, I hear the bus start. Now, my jaw was probably like hanging wide open, but Bob goes up to me and he looks at me, he smiles, and he gives me knuckles and he goes, Isn't our God great? And he jumps on the bus. That, that was amazing, but that was just common for the way that Bob did life. And so whenever the Spirit is mentioned in the New Testament, there's always one of five words that's connected to the Spirit. It's power, life, glory, wisdom, or love. And so in that moment with the bus, I experienced a moment of God's power and his glory in Haiti. And if you pray about everything, you too will experience moments of God's power and his glory. It may not always be total transformation of you or your situation, but you'll have glimpses or windows into God at work. And sometimes it takes time. He'll bring the fullness of life. You'll see the wisdom of his delay in answering something you've been praying for a long time simply because he is good and his timing is always right. If our life is lacking majorly in one, let alone all five of these things, then it's possible that we're too busy doing life on our own. Our control, our wisdom, our strength may get the job done at least in theory, but in the long run, it still lacks true power from the spirit. Life change, glory to him, his wisdom, his love. So we jump on the bus, and after about 45 minutes, they just lose. I just lost the signal. I'm going to reconnect and let's see if that works. Everyone pray. pray. Yes, everyone please pray. See, I wasn't even doing it there either. I was trying to fix the problem. I haven't learned anything. (laughs) Let me pretend. Let me text my prayer supporters (laughs) who will pray that the tech will work. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So after a 45-minute bus ride, we get to the church. There's a pastor's conference being hosted. These pastors traveled from all over the place. And after the first day, I'm just enthralled by what God is doing. And so Bob asked me, he goes, hey, tomorrow morning, I'll give you an hour. Why don't you share something? I go, Bob, I was just here to observe. He goes, yeah, why don't you pray about it? And so I agreed, and then that night, I just had this overwhelming sense of fear, inadequacy. And so I'm scrambling to find some paper to write something down, and I find these pink sheets of paper off in the corner of the compound we were staying on, and I'm scribbling stuff, and I'm just, the the anxiety is building. I'm like, what am I going to say to these guys? And I'm talking to my wife back in the States. And then in the morning, I'm, 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 I'm still looking at my notes. I'm stressing. And then I am just find myself praying. Not because it's the spiritual thing to do, but I am desperate. I'm like, Lord, unless you show up, this is going to be awful. And so I'm praying, and I'm crying out, and I'm confessing my own pride and my own self-sufficiency. And so all of this is happening And so just know that as you pray, don't be surprised if life gets harder before it gets better. Why is that? Because don't forget how the powertrain works. We pray to the Father who sends the Spirit, who brings the Son, and not just the person of His Son, but the story of His Son. And we know that the story of Jesus has a distinct shape And our ministry calls it the J-curve because it's shaped like the letter J. It moves from life to death up to resurrection. And as we are united with Christ, he not only saves us as he dies and rises again, but our life story is imprinted with this same shape. And so as we follow Jesus and as he begins to bring stories into our lives, they will take shape like this. So we pray... And all of a sudden, sometimes things go down. They get harder. And so for that 12-hour period, as I prayed, God was putting to death at the bottom here my pride, my self-sufficiency, my control, my trust in my own abilities. And so the next morning, I share about my past failures in ministry, and in my marriage and I teach about God's grace that was perfected and is being perfected in my weakness and next thing I know it's 45 minutes later and I'm just asking my translator the president Donnie hey Donnie can you tell them before we end if they could just group up and pray together or pray with each other So I sit down, Donnie speaks in Creole and tells all the pastors, hey, group up and close in prayer. And then all of a sudden, they all jump up and they all jump down. And they're all on the ground. And I was like, what? And and, and they they are, I don't know if you could see it, a lot of them are, are holding one another as they're on the ground. And there's this loud crying of, I'm assuming, repentance. And it was so overwhelming as I was, I I took this picture and then I fell to the ground and and I was on a chair just on my knees, just in full repentance and gratitude. I was in such shock. Later on, I asked Donnie, I go, hey, is that the Haitian way of doing prayer? Like you you guys kind of, he goes, I've never seen that before. I go, Donnie, what was going on? He goes, the spirit just showed up. You see, when we pray, God will send His Spirit who will bring the presence and the path of Jesus. And it will move like the powertrain, but it will often go, pray to the Father who will send the Spirit, who brings the Son, and the Son brings wisdom, life, glory, wisdom, and love. But oftentimes, the path it comes by is like this. We want it to go boom here, and let's skip the dip. Jesus didn't skip the dip, and neither will we. And so don't forget how Ephesians 3 ends. Paul is praying to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, which is the Holy Spirit, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever amen in the remaining 90 seconds instead of me just talking about this let's go to him i'd just like to give you just a quiet moment to come to the father and to do life through prayer and i'd like to twist it up a little bit i'd like you to focus on an area of life where you got it made Not your area where you know I'm totally helpless and weak, but in the area of life where you kinda, if you're really honest, like, I got this. And bring that, bring that to the Father that in that he would send the Spirit who would bring the Son and bring power, okay? So Father, we just, we just end this time in the sermon not just talking about prayer, but we want to pray. So we just spend a few moments bringing not just our areas of weakness, but even the areas where we think we got it. So please, please hear the, the prayers of your children. Father, thank you that there's no other God like you. There never has been, nor will there ever be. And it's not just because you, you are overall, but because you actually care to listen to us and respond. So would you move in the hearts and the prayers of the people as they lay them before you. In Jesus' name, amen.